We read God's Word in John 8, reading verses 12 through 47. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came, and whither I go. But ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. And said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my Father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and ye shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me, the Father hath not left me alone, For I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the Son abideth ever. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. He answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. 
But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham, ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication, we have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father he will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. This far we read the word of God. Turn for our instruction this morning also to Lord's Day 43 of the Heidelberg Catechism and its explanation of the Ninth Commandment. What is required in the ninth commandment? That I bear false witness against no man, nor falsify any man's words. That I be no backbiter, nor slanderer. That I do not judge, nor join in condemning any man rashly or unheard. But that I avoid all sorts of lies and deceit as the proper works of the devil, unless I would bring down upon me the heavy wrath of God, Likewise, that in judgment and all other dealings, I love the truth, speak it uprightly, and confess it. Also, that I defend and promote, as much as I am able, the honor and good character of my neighbor. Beloved saints in Jesus Christ, on average, each one of us speaks 7,000 words a day. And that's well over 2.5 million a year. When our Lord and Savior comes in judgment and we stand before Him, says Belgic Confession, Article 37, we will give account of every idle word that we have spoken, every off-handed word, every word that didn't really mean much. And if that's true of every idle word, How much more of those words that we've spoken that are slanders and lies and gossip, that are backbiting, that are distortions of truth, that are failures to confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior and God as the one only true God. How many of our 7,000 a day in one way or another defame instead of promote? the neighbor's character and reputation. Those are the questions that confront us this morning. It's a sobering statistic, 7,000 a day. It's a sobering reality. Many of them were not or did not need to be spoken, especially if we're speaking out of the power and principle of our old man of sin, just giving vent to what's in our heart, 
many of them could have been kept in and both we would be happier and the neighbor would not have been attacked. So our sins rise up against us this morning. Many sins. Grievous sins. Sins that hurt and even destroy relationships. But we stand before our master in the school of the law who says, But this and also I have covered in my blood. And your old man is not all there is of you and of me, but now also there is a new man in Christ. And Jesus Christ not only teaches us and gives us the power to speak rightly of the neighbor, but he shows us, as he showed the Jews in John 8, where our right use of our tongue begins. And that is, with right knowledge of Jehovah God and of Jesus Christ, the revelation of God, with the right understanding of Him. Then we have a foundation to use our tongues rightly. So let's hear our Master teach us again this morning in the school of the law about the right use of our tongues. First of all, hating lies. Second, loving truth. And third, following Christ. Thou shalt not bear false witness, says God in the ninth commandment. And we do well to ask, what sins are here forbidden? We have three answers to that question this morning. In the first place, very specifically, to bear false witness is to bear a wrong testimony. It is to speak about somebody or about an event and to say, in speaking about that person or event, that which is not true. Now there are two scenarios that the law of God had in mind when God gave this law to Israel. The first scenario was an official investigation. Perhaps the elders of the city called you in front of them to investigate a matter. Or in the New Testament, it could be the elders of the church. It could be the parents. It could be the civil magistrates, the judge. And they ask you and me to give account of ourselves And our answer to them must be truth. That's the law of God to you and to me. Speak truth. The second scenario is not one of an official investigation, but it's one in which two people are speaking together. On the phone, across the fence in the backyard, at the workplace, or in whatever way. And we are speaking together two people, about a third or a third and fourth and fifth, etc. And it might be that these two are speaking about the third in such a way as to paint his character ill, as to underscore all his weaknesses and all his sins, and that too is a bearing of false witness. Now, even if the things I say about the neighbor are formally correct, that is, I have some astute ability to recognize somebody else's weakness and sins, and which one of us does not have that astute ability, even if so, 
What I say is a bearing of false witness in principle because I do not present the big picture, do not see the gifts that the neighbor has, the graces that God gave my brother or my sister in Jesus Christ. So the point is there are two scenarios. It could be one of official judgment, but it could be simply daily conversation. And in both instances, says Jehovah God, thou shalt not bear false Witness, do not speak what's not true. It's our nature to do that, which is of course why the Lord sets forth one out of ten commandments to address the matter. And also why He puts it in the negative. He doesn't just give here again a positive principle, be sure to speak truth. You generally do a pretty good job of that anyway, just remember to keep doing it. But He says, thou shalt not. Thou shalt not do. And as soon as he tells me what I may not do, I recognize, but that is my nature. It is my nature in the first place. Because when I am speaking with another about a third, I might want to paint the third in a bad light to promote myself. Or I might want to agree with my neighbor to whom I'm speaking about the third because I don't want to face the neighbor here and tell him that actually I happen to disagree with what he thinks. I want him to think well of me. And so I'm willing to bear false witness. The first sin that is prohibited is the express and specific sin of bearing false witness. In the second place, The Lord forbids the sin of lying. And lying is any distortion or denial of truth. Now it's a human invention to take all of the words that we speak and to categorize them and to classify them. And we say there are lies, there are blatant untruths, and then there are half-truths. And we want you to see the truth in the half-truth, But God says it's a lie because a half-truth is only half. And if you don't have whole truth, you don't have truth. And so the point is our human categories by which we try to exonerate ourselves don't work with God. And there's another way in which we invent a category to try to defend our lies. And that is to say, but this was my intent. This is what I meant to say. You're attacking me for what I said. This is what I meant to say. You're attacking me for what I said. You misunderstood me. And yet the Lord would have us examine our heart and examine our mouth and recognize that before Jehovah God, it may well be we have lied. When I emphasize that the ninth commandment forbids all lying, I'm bringing out how broad the commandment and its application is. It covers every thing we say, every content. It covers every motive for speaking. It covers every tone and manner of speaking. For it is possible for me to say words that are all the correct and right words, but in a sarcastic, biting tone that conveys to the one who hears that I don't mean a word of what I say, or if I do mean the words or recognize the truth of them, I hate the brother. And that too is forbidden. 
It covers every possible scenario of speech. Especially, of course, it covers what comes out of my mouth. But there is now what comes out of my fingers as I type or as I write. There is even what comes out of my thoughts. Even if it didn't get expressed in word or in speech. And you and I are called to recognize how many lies we believe in ourselves and must fight against. In underscoring how broad the commandment is, we also have to say that it forbids any wrong response to the revelation of God. And although I'm not going to elaborate on that at this point, I'm paving the way because later on we're going to have to see that that's very much to the point of what Jesus is doing in the passage we read. He is not merely speaking of mistruths, misstatements, wrong presentations of a scenario of events on the part of the Jews, but he's addressing what is a fundamental lie that they are committing, and that is that he, Jesus Christ, is sent from God the Father, the revelation of God, to lighten the world, that is to bring truth to a world of darkness, a world in bondage to the lie. Bearing false witness is the first sin forbidden. Lying is the second. And then in the third place, any sin of speech. Our commandment is referring to all of these three categories when it speaks of bearing false witness against no man and falsifying no man's words. But now when I say any sin of speech, I'm referring especially to these phrases, that I be no backbiter nor slanderer, that I do not judge nor join in condemning any man rashly or unheard. The talebearer and the gossip is one who again might speak true things formally, as regards their content, so-and-so really did do this, so-and-so really did say this. But inasmuch as this is gossip, it is not edifying to the hearer. It does not build up the good honor and character and reputation of my neighbor, brother, or sister. It is wrong. And when it comes to judging any man rashly or unheard, the catechism reminds us that when we hear from somebody else juicy tidbits of information about a person or about an event, we ought not go away saying, I heard it on good authority, and so I'm going to spread it, and I believe it's true. You know why we ought not? Because no one person presents the fullness of how an event went, of what a person said. That's one reason. You know why, you know why else? Because when the sins and weaknesses of another person are reported to us, the goal whether consciously or not, is to have us think of the person who reports them as speaking only truth. Why would he or she lie? Why would he or she distort truth 
and behind it is Satan trying to poison our minds. There is therefore a right response to a talebearer and a gossip, and that right response, says Proverbs 25, verse 23, is righteous anger. The north wind driveth away rain, so doth an angry countenance, a backbiting tongue. All such lies we are not merely to avoid, but we are to hate. When God says, thou shalt not bear false witness, he does not mean to suggest that as long as we observe the form of our words and lips, we're all right. But he means to say that false witness and lie is something we must hate because he hates it and we desire to be like him. Jesus gives, as does the Heidelberg Catechism, the fundamental reason why we are to hate these, and that is that they are the proper work of the devil. To the Jews who argue that they are Abraham's children and therefore that all must be well with them in the sight of God, Jesus says, oh no. Abraham's children, of course, if you want to look at human genealogies, but there's a spiritual dimension here. And inasmuch as they hated Jesus Christ and sought to kill him, he said, you are of your father, the devil, and the loss of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. But the devil is the father of the lie means in the first place that he was the first liar, The father of something is often the inventor of something. And so Satan is the first to have lied in the history of the world. He lied already before he came to Eve. He lied when in heaven he gathered a band of angels together who would fall with him and so become devils and said, we are as good as God. And that was the first lie. The second lie which he spoke and showed them that he was the originator of the lie, even here on earth, was a similar lie. You can be like God. You see how a lie at principle is always an attack on God. That's even true of my lies and your lies if they don't have anything to do about doctrine because they distort truth as God Determined it. I'll develop that point a little more presently. The devil is the father of the lie because he is the first liar. But then he is also the father of the lie because he propagates the lie. So we think of a father as one who begets children. Well, the devil begets every single lie that has ever occurred. He works in the hearts of men to speak these lies. And he does that Because his character is that of a liar. The assessment of Jesus to the Jews in John 8.44 was very sobering. And there'd be every reason for a self-righteous man to say, This Jesus is crazy. I'm not that bad. 
But you see how Jesus is testifying to truth even here? He knows not only the true God, he knows not only Jesus Christ himself as the revelation of God, he knows human nature, my heart, and your heart, and he's bearing witness to it. And therefore, says our catechism, every lie, all sorts of lies and deceit, are the proper works of the devil. The lie, the gossip, the tail-bearing, the backbiting, the slander, does not manifest that Jesus Christ lives in me. Does not manifest that He's loosened my tongue from bondage to sin so that I can serve and praise God with it. But the lie, the tail-bearing, the gossip, the deceit, The slander says, I've got that devil in me. I'm still infected with his venom. Let me drive home the point a moment. We speak sometimes of people who act like the devil. And if we use that term, we mean somebody who in their outward conduct has shown themselves so contrary to the law of God that they live a godless life. They get drunk and love to get drunk. They're promiscuous. They murder. They defame the name of, defile the Sabbath day and they profane the name of God. You don't have to do all those things to show yourself a child of the devil. All you and I have to do is lie to mom and dad. And we've shown ourselves to be a child of the devil. Do you want the world to know you're his child? That is the devil's. You want your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ to say that's really how we'd characterize him or her if they were to talk about you, which they ought not do. But is that how you want them to know of you and speak of you? Well, there's an effect, a sanctifying effect that this reminder has on you and me as do all the warnings and threatenings of the law. And the sanctifying effect is to say, no, I grieve when I hear of these sins and recognize them in me. And I hate them and I do turn to Jesus Christ and seek His power to hate the lie. How does it manifest that we hate the lie? Of course, don't lie. But that's easily enough said. How more is it manifest that we hate the lie? And the answer would be, first of all, do we pray? Do we pray for grace to recognize lies that come out of our mouths? I'm not going to be recognizing a lie too quickly if I give myself over to it. And I cannot very well give myself over to a lie and come in deep, intimate fellowship to God in prayer. There's one man, the Proverbs say, whose prayers Jehovah will not hear. It is the liar. And we mean now not just one who sins on occasion, recognizes his sin, and seeks forgiveness. That drives us to God in prayer often. But we mean one who is living a lie and defending and excusing his lie and doesn't even recognize what lie is 
anymore do you pray for grace to speak truth. That shows we're hating the lie. But furthermore, it becomes our calling. And this is implied, if not expressly stated, it's implied that I not join in condemning any man rashly or unheard. And it's implied in Proverbs 25, verse 23, to which I earlier referred, that I walk away from and have nothing to do with any who do speak this way. Now often we don't walk away, often we listen with a ready ear. And yet, especially when we're speaking with brothers and sisters in Christ, we help them, and we help ourselves to say to them, no, stop. Don't move your tongue anymore. If that's how you're going to use it, I want nothing to do with it. This is a principle that guides us then in the kind of conversations we enter into, in the kind of conversations that we seek out. I'm not talking about people per se, people that we talk to. I'm talking about conversations because it can come from any person. Is this the kind of principle that guides us when we decide what group we will be a part of on Facebook or some other media? What chat room we will enter into? Is this a principle that guides us when we receive perhaps an unsigned letter or an anonymous missive, whether it comes in the mail or comes in some digital way? Do we say that must be slander? I will have nothing to do with it. That's hating the lie. Thou shalt not implies a thou shalt. To hate the lie is not enough. We must love truth. And that's the positive keeping of the commandment. And here we need to understand what the the commandment might not have on the surface indicated, but Jesus is getting at in this chapter, and that is what truth is and who truth is. Truth, to give a basic definition, is everything that God has determined to be real. And I want to underscore that a moment because for the world in which we live, and therefore very quickly for me and for you, truth is what I think. It is my opinion. It is one thing for you and another thing for me. And if you recognize that's not correct, nonetheless, we live in a day and age in which that is the view of the world around, and it is why as you and I speak truth, In the midst of an evil world, more and more we will not be tolerated or heard. Truth as regards doctrine, but even truth as regards how an event went. Truth as I bear testimony. The world is not interested in truth. It is of its father, the devil. Truth is not just what I think. It is what God determined. Now there's two categories of truth. The first is doctrinal truth. 
And that's, I said earlier, what Jesus is speaking of in John 8. He's speaking of God and of God being true. Now, the Jews knew there was a God. They weren't disputing that. And they would readily say that God is true. But they understood God to be true only insofar as God gave them what they wanted. Only insofar as they, the Jews, were made a great people again. Delivered from Rome's bondage or uh, government eventually. And made a great kingdom. And that's the God who is true in their mind. But Jesus has much more to say about God who is true than just that. The God who is true didn't first of all promise to make the Jews a great nation. The God who is true first of all promised to send Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, into the world. And God did that. He is true. That's the point that the Jews were rejecting. So Jesus Christ says, I am the light of the world in John 8 verse 12. One of those I am statements, which begin really with a claiming to be Jehovah, the I am, that I am. Jesus not only essentially says, I am Jehovah, but he also says, I am the light. In other words, I am the true prophet. All throughout the Old Testament, the coming of a prophet was held before the Jews. I am He. That's truth. Later, and in other places, Jesus will go on, John 17, for instance, to say, Thy word is truth. So truth is God. Truth is Christ. And truth is the Holy Scriptures as it sets forth God and Christ. And this truth, God and Christ, as made known in the Holy Scriptures, sets you free. That's real truth. Why does truth start with God? The answer is because He determines truth. He is, of course, the one only pre-existing being before the foundation of the world. And so if there was truth from all eternity, as there was, it must be that God is this truth. But even more, only when I relate the events that happen in day-to-day life to God do I speak of them truthfully. Only when I relate the opinions men have and the ideas men have to what God makes known in the Scriptures and be sure that my ideas and opinions are in accord with the Scriptures am I speaking of them truthfully. God determines Truth. That's true doctrinally, I said. There's two spheres and two areas in which God manifests Himself to be the determiner of truth. Doctrinally, but also as regards my day-to-day life. What happened? Who said what? Who said what first? Who did what? Who did what first? What about that neighbor? What about his strengths? What about his weaknesses? All of this, God has determined Yes. He did give to the neighbor the same sinful nature that he gave me. No doubt about it. Yes. The neighbor does have weaknesses just as well as I do. No doubt about it. But if that neighbor is redeemed by the blood of Christ, truth, 
as I speak of the neighbor, requires me to see him as he is in Christ. And as he is in Christ, he's not just a weak person, but he is a weak person perhaps in whom God's strength is made evident. And he is not just a sinner, but he is a sinner who is sanctified by the power of Jesus Christ. Just as I want people to think of me, this is where the positive keeping of the ninth commandment starts. What is truth? What is God doing in Christ, in the church? And what is he doing in Christ, in my life, and in my neighbor's life? So one day God is going to bear witness to truth. He did already, of course, in the scriptures. But he's going to in the day of judgment. And Jesus, without expressly spelling out the doctrine of a day of judgment, does speak of himself as judge and suggests that there is such a day coming. He will speak of all the events that happen in my life in the day of judgment, he will give and bear his own witness about all of the people about whom I speak in the day of judgment, and in this life, I must endeavor to see it his way. This is why I may not judge rashly or unheard, because I cannot possibly be seeing a brother or a sister or a situation his way when I get only one person's version of it. This is a reason why I'm to promote the honor and good character of the neighbor. In every instance, I can or may, which is to say, that becomes the real motive and goal in all that I speak. And if I say, I can't, I can't. He does not have something good about which to say, then the keeping of the ninth commandment isn't a matter of, well, all right, in this case, go ahead and cut him down. But then I may choose to be quiet. It starts with loving truth, loving God. So here we're going to come to the reason for this positive keeping of this commandment, the reason for loving truth, is because I would have the world around me, the neighbor to whom I'm speaking, the neighbor about whom I'm speaking, anyone who's eavesdropping, know that I am no longer a child of the devil. By nature I am, but I've been redeemed. I've been brought out of the devil's family. I've been redeemed by the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ. And now I love God. I know God. I seek God. I rejoice in fellowship with God. And in loving God, I love all whom He's redeemed in Christ's blood. I don't have to say at length how to love truth. Speak it. Openly. Readily. Before the judge. Before the consistory before your parents, before your neighbors. Speak it, even if that's the occasion for you being fined or jailed. Speak it, even if it's the occasion for your friend to be fined or jailed or killed. Speak it, even if it's the occasion for your enemy to be released from being fined or jailed. 
speak truth. And be sure that in the end, everything you and I say is what in the end Jehovah God will say in the day of judgment. This power we have, who are redeemed from bondage to sin by Jesus Christ. As the prophet, as the one who teaches us this, we see again that he sets the example. It must be, when I come in the third point to speak of following Christ, you know, I believe, from what I've done in past weeks, but let me make it clear that we are not looking at Jesus Christ only as the one who simply set the example, which example now I and you in our own strength have the power to follow, and that that's all there is to the salvation Christ brings. No. Jesus Christ says that because He's the light of the world, He's the example to follow. Because He speaks truth, He is the example to follow, and then points us to himself as the one who gives us the power to follow it. But now, why must we set and make emphasis yet on his example? Exactly because he's a teacher. Every teacher both uses his words to instruct and by his example also teaches. It makes being a teacher a great responsibility and a weighty one. God give grace to all who teach the Christian day schools, as well as from the pulpits, as well as elders and deacons, that our life conform with truth. So Jesus Christ sets forth himself as an example. He spoke truth. He knew God. He related all that happened around him to God's will for him. And therefore he could bear witness to truth. Bear witness to himself as the light of the world. Bear witness to himself as the only hope of fallen man. Therefore he could assess the Jews as being children of the devil. It's not something I'm so ready to do if I don't have the words of Jesus Christ to stand on. If I were to just walk around doing that, People would look at me as if I'm the one with a problem. But Jesus wasn't the one with a problem. He knew the hearts of men. He speaks in verse 28 of him being lifted up. And there again he is lifted up in part to bear true witness. The word refers in part to his being lifted up on the cross. Do you know that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross was a moment and a public display of truth? Part of the truth, of course, was the truth that the title written above him proclaimed. This is Jesus of Nazareth. And yes, Jews, he really is your king. But there's another part of the truth that's more to the point for you and for me today. That Jesus Christ is lifted up on the cross. An innocent man condemned to death and bearing the agonies of the wrath of God and of hell says this. Mankind is depraved, defiled, cannot be redeemed from and delivered from the kingdom of Satan and the bondage of Satan except 
Jesus Christ, bear our sin and our guilt. He was lifted up, and there God spoke truth. There's more to it. Not only did the cross proclaim mankind's need, it proclaimed that Jesus Christ satisfied that need fully, freely, and completely. For he died. There the devil said, that liar is gone now. And the third day he rose again. And then God said, the devil, he's the liar. Beware of him. Now at the right hand of God, as he governs all things in accordance with the will and the counsel of God, Jesus speaks truth. That's the example to follow. As we follow that example, in the first place, two things. As we follow that example in the first place, he calls us to himself. Again, to drive home that that example is a power-bestowing example and not just some great display of how you and I can do it in our own strength. He says, now come to me. In me you will find this power. How does he say that in John 8? Speaks of following him, first of all. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And then there's that passage in verses 31 and 32. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So follow him. And he calls to follow him those for whom he's died, and those in whose heart he lives, and to whom he's given the spiritual ears to hear. Why does he tell the Jews? You don't understand my speech because you cannot hear my word. Your ears are deaf, but he's opened yours and mine. We were like deaf mutes. Those who couldn't speak properly. And one factor in some children not being able to speak properly is that they cannot hear. So that, at least in some instances, the restoring of the ability to hear when that's possible medically, now gives the person the ability also to learn how to speak. And when our Lord and Savior loosened our tongue by a sanctifying work and the indwelling of a spirit, He first of all opened our ears to hear Him speak truth to us. And then said, now I give your tongue the ability to speak truth in return. Secondly, as our Lord and Savior sets this example, He promises us, us freedom. The liar is in bondage. Liar is in bondage to the one to whom he lied. To save face with that one, he must do everything he can so that person never figures out that he lied. The liar is in bondage to himself. 
In order that he not be exposed as a fraud, he must do everything in his power to keep his lie from being known, which often involves more lies. And the liar is in bondage to his conscience, which keeps testifying against him. That's misery. That's grief. You know it. I know it. I know it from experience. You probably from your own. If ever there was a lie you lived in for a time, you know what a grief it is. And now, says Jesus Christ, truth frees. Speaking truth might be why you're killed, hated, imprisoned, tortured, before the face of your heavenly Father. You have no fear. There's no guilt. There's no bondage. But there's joy and peace and happiness. Oh, when we follow Christ, hating the lie, loving truth, we can sleep well at night. Amen. Father, which art in heaven, we thank thee that our sins are covered by the blood of Christ, that we have the power to live anew to the praise of God and the glory of thy name. Give us to relate everything that happens in our life and in the neighbor's life to thee and to Christ, and so doing to speak truth. For Christ's sake, 